take any relationship of anything in the world, mm -hmm. you could say, what are the symbiotic dynamics here? Is it mutual? Is it parasitic? You could look at your own relationship. Hmm. Sure, and I don't know about you, but I've always seen it as a very positive word. Is that the way it hits you? In general, yeah. yeah. Even when it's one way, right. if it's parasitic, it's still positive in a certain sense. Even with a parasitic relationship, mm -hmm. as long as the host lives longer, right. the parasite will thrive. Yeah. It has know? kind of this uh, sharing feeling. Yeah, give and take. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 87, Digging Words, Symbiosis. You scratch my back. Welcome to another edition of Digging Words. And the word today is? And the word today is symbiosis. Symbiosis. Symbiosis, not symbolism, symbiosis. Uh-huh. In general, symbiosis is a relationship between two or more organisms that live closely together. And then there are several classifications of symbiosis that you can refer to. And there are about five. Classified as mutualism, mm -hmm. commensalism, mm -hmm. parasitism, predation, and competition. Right. So let's just quickly go through each of them. Mm -hmm. Let's start with predation. Hunter prey. Sure, a lion taking down an antelope. The antelope is not winning in that, uh, <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> the lion is winning. Right. So that relationship is symbiotic. Mm -hmm. It benefits one of the two parties. Right. right? Then you've got commensalism. When one of the two parties gains something and the other party doesn't lose doesn't and lose. doesn't win. Right. It's sort of a neutral situation there. Like so, cattle and an egret. Yeah. Or say I offer to give my neighbor a lift to work. Mm -hmm. It helps them. It doesn't particularly harm or help me. Right. I just do it. Mm -hmm. So that's a relationship that's commensal. Then there's parasitism like head lice. <laughs> yeah, fleas or ticks on a dog. Yeah, flesh-eating disease maybe, parasitism where one party wins and the other party loses. loses big time. Then you have mutualism where both parties win, like a great trade deal. Mm -hmm. Or like our former podcast, The Oxpecker and the Hippo. Right, where the oxpecker cleans the hippo's hide and the hippo protects the oxpecker, which is a bird, mm -hmm. by just being big and strong and keeps prey at a distance so the oxpecker is safer. Mm -hmm. I think also some little fish feed off of the backs of sharks. Yes. So it's the same kind of relationship. They clean the shark and the shark protects them in that way. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is competition. Competing for limited resources. Right. So for example... Humans uh, do that. Humans do that. But in nature, like the sapling mm -hmm. close to a big, big old tree, well, the old tree is going to actually win the resource battle because it'll catch the sun first. Its roots are longer. It takes the water out of the soil. Mm -hmm. And so the sapling is competing for resources. Right. So that's a competitive kind of symbiosis. Those are your five major types of symbiotic relationships. Yep. The word itself, 
comes from Greek. Meaning? Sim, mm-hmm. which means together, and bios, which means life. life. So living together. Right. And so basically our planet is nothing but a crazy quilt kaleidoscopic picture of symbiosis. And in that vein, you had mentioned the very famous Darwinian theory of evolution. Right, which is all about competition. And there's a biologist by the name of Lynn Margulis, who is famous for her work on endosymbiosis, which is about a symbiotic relationship between one being that enters the tissues of another. So like bacteria that enters the tissues, Mm -hmm. that's called endosymbiosis. And the example of the fish on the shark or the oxpecker would be ectosymbiosis. Mm. So head lice, for example. Interior, exterior. Right, exactly. So this biologist, Lynn Margulis, contends that symbiosis is a major driving force behind evolution, Mm -hmm. suggesting that Darwin's notion of evolution driven by competition is incomplete. And so she claims that evolution is strongly based on cooperation, interaction, and mutual dependence among organisms. Which is the opposite of survival of the fittest. Yeah. Life did not take over the globe by combat, but by networking, Mm -hmm. she says. So that's an interesting point of view, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. The cooperative effort of systems versus combative of systems, of communities, Mm -hmm. of individual relationships where the parties are dependent upon each other Mm -hmm. for fulfilling different needs. For example, in nature, a flowering plant, an insect or an animal. A bee that collects... Pollination. Yep. Mutually beneficial. Animals, even when they're eating seeds, every time they eat, they're spitting out seeds from food that's falling into the ground and regrowing. Yeah, birds shit out seeds (laughs) and they fly a distance and then shit them out. And that allows the plant life to extend their territory. Right. Right. So that's symbiotic. Mm -hmm. It's a transport system as well as a collection system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So everywhere you look, symbiosis is in play in one form or another. In one of those five general categories, Mm -hmm. it's there. To us humans, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interconnectivity with symbiosis in terms of how we function, how we live, how we work together. Mm -hmm. We talked about various functions in terms of work, institutional, in in terms of uh, creative or building, like an architect and an engineer. Yeah, tell me about that relationship then. The architect and engineer is an interesting one because most people, when you say architect and engineer, there's a sort of overflow of Mm -hmm. the two but even personality types engineers tend to be quite different people from architects in the sense that an architect usually has more of an artistic inclination whereas an engineer Mm -hmm. has more of a structural yep Mm -hmm. now the interesting thing is both of those things are required in building yeah so you have an engineer though who typically designs in accordance to physical or structural requirements so it sometimes tends to lack in the creative imagination in the sense that he looks at a, a cross-section of something or a span of something and says, we have materials that easily span eight or 10 feet, and this is the material. So you kind of confine the design mm-hmm. to the actual material, whereas an architect may come into a space and go, wow, you know, look at this uh, setting here. I want to create a curving roof. I want a different kind of wall, mm-hmm. a different kind of exterior, interior, and so on. 
which may or may not adhere to the spanning standards or the structural standards that are required. Okay, so is there an ongoing dialogue between architects and engineers on any particular project? Well, this is interesting that you brought that up because I studied in the early 70s. I went to an architectural and building science course that was devised at Ryerson in the late 60s, early 70s. And the reason why this course was created was to educate individuals in the art of kind of acting as a liaison between architects and engineers. Uh So Uh we were taught a little bit of both, including project management, which was the scheduling of work and so on. So to facilitate the symbiosis, you have a third party. The communication is someone in between who lends a bit more of the practical side while not diminishing the creative side. Right, right. That's interesting. Um, In terms of even Facebook or social media, There's a kind of a symbiosis, I think, between Mm. people who are engaged in social media and the population that they speak to. Right. Sender, receiver. Yeah. They upload quality material or whatever it is, content, and they're getting likes and responses and comments back. It's a kind of a mutual... Yeah. Without both of them being there, neither would exist. Yes, exactly. Same thing with economic Mm. systems, let's say, like capitalism and uh, communism Mm -hmm. or socialism. One really doesn't exist well without the other as a counterpoint. Right. You know. And that can be both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, if you're lobbying for an oil company that many perceive as environmentally negative. Yeah. Right. You have a few championing for a small sector versus the masses or the general view of the population. Okay, so let me just be clear here. You have a symbiotic relationship between the lobbyists and the government. They're actually mutually benefiting each other because the lobbyists, maybe the oil industry is supporting a particular party in the government. Right, exactly. But the negative is outside of that symbiotic relationship. It could be negative. We suffer. (laughs) It could be negative. It doesn't necessarily have to be be negative, but it often is. And as that particular sector becomes stronger without an opposing side, then the negativity increases, at least from most people's perspective. Again, it's one of those arguable points. Well, what happens is the lobbyists scratch the back of the government, and then when these companies get in trouble, Mm -hmm. governments bail out. They're bailouts. Yes. So this is these mutually backscratching entities. That's exactly what it is, backscratching. Backscratching. But it doesn't always mean that we win as a population, as a community, as a society, mm-hmm. right? And that also goes on on a lower level with us individuals every day. Yeah, yeah in relationships. Yes. Uh, symbiosis of all of these five types happen. There are parasitic relationships. Yes. There are mutually beneficial relationships. There are relationships where one party does a fair bit and gives the other party benefit of that, but there's not a lot coming back. Mm-hmm. And those dynamics can change over time in a relationship where one party starts to diminish right. in what they give and the other starts to give more. Right? Mm. That's the interesting dynamic of relationships. How and and that dynamic has also continued in the arts. So, for example, in theater, you have the protagonist-antagonist situation. Yeah, um, of course. And without the antagonist... The protagonist would have nothing to rub up against and therefore no drama, no conflict, no mm-hmm. drama, mm-hmm. no art in a way. Mm-hmm. We expect friction and uh, uh, symbiotic relationships that are frictional, kind of understood in any art form, mm. film especially, and writing, that if there isn't conflict, if there isn't a challenge for your protagonist to overcome, 
then what's the story? There's not much of a story. Mm -hmm. It's not that interesting. And I take exception with that in a way. Okay, why? Well, because it becomes a trope. It becomes simply a structure to pour your writing into Mm. or your film or whatever. And so you have to have an antagonist. Sometimes the antagonist can just be an internal dialogue. Got it. Or an internal conflict too. Mm -hmm. But there still has to be some sort of conflict in a way. Mm -hmm. I understand that. An opposing view. Yeah. Something to rub up against. Mm -hmm. Box, box. So, what's your story? You scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. What about it? Start scratching. The only way these two species could survive in these hot soils was to be heat tolerant. And they could only achieve that through cooperation, symbiosis. If you only knew the enormous obstacles we've overcome, you would know that we are destined to die in each other's arms. Because although we are very different people, our parts mesh together perfectly. We have achieved symbiosis. Well, not every time, but it's close. Box, box. And then, of course, continuing on a human level, you've got things that offshoot on that as well. Things like sadomasochism. Yeah, I know you're a sadomasochist. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about your experience with that. (laughs) Well, I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm very familiar with Casanova. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Again, it's depending on the social perspective versus the individual perspective. People involved in a sadomasochistic, let's say, relationship may not view it as negative as someone from the outside who's not exposed to that particular lifestyle or practice. Right. It's a symbiotic relationship. Oh, sure. Um, it's codependent. Yeah. I think that's the other term we use a lot and psychologists use for relationships and which kind of pushes into the realm in some respects of addiction. Mm -hmm. I think people who are addicted to certain substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, the symbiotic relationship is between the person and the substance. Right. I've met alcoholics who clearly have a relationship with that glass of booze. It's a relationship. It really is when you dig down. And the way to help the alcoholic ultimately is to have them recognize that they're in a relationship. Did you just say healthy alcoholic? No, a way to help the alcoholic is to uh, get them to realize that there actually there is a relationship they're having with this Mm. to the detriment of their relationship with their husband or their partner children or whoever, Mm -hmm. right? That they're choosing this relationship over those relationships. And when they become aware of that, it helps them a little bit, I find, to temper that impulse because it is a relationship, it is a codependence, and it's symbiotic. It's an illness. It's that too. Illness is symbiotic in relation to the system, the human body. Right. So a parasite in the body, which causes disease, there's a symbiotic relationship between that parasite and the body. Mm-hmm. 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 Even what we're doing here is speaking and listening. Yeah, speaking and listening. There are symbiotic dynamics. You need a good listener 
to bring out the speaker and the speaker and the listener needs good uh, content mm -hmm. to really stay engaged. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a very good example. Like a stage performer and an audience, same thing. Mm -hmm. you know? The quality of the listening will affect mm -hmm. the quality of the voice, for the example. The performance as and well. the performance right. and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. yeah. When we're talking about human relationships, one person that I frequently think about or refer to as Esther Perel. Esther Perel, yes. The uh, mm -hmm. Belgian psychotherapist who explores primarily the strain between the need for security, which is love, belonging, and closeness, and the need for freedom, mm -hmm. which is the erotic desire, adventure, and uh, distance yeah. in human relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very interesting. I think people should look her up because... From what I've seen of her, she's got a very balanced approach. Seems to, yeah. To relationships. And, mm -hmm. and she sort of describes, in a sense, the symbiotic dynamics between men and women. Yes. In a very balanced way. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I found of her that is really interesting in relationships, she talks about how relationships used to be about duty, mm -hmm. right? And happiness as an idea, was something that would come at the end of your life. That was in, secondary. In heaven or wherever, mm -hmm. right? But now happiness is really at the forefront. And so you have partners saying, I don't feel happy in this relationship. And that that becomes something that propels them out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Whereas that never used to be the case. It wasn't about happiness. Mm -hmm. In many ways, the traditional way was more symbiotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was more... It was understood. It was understood that the roles were understood, the mutually beneficial dynamics were mm -hmm. in place mm -hmm. and weren't messed around with very much. Now, it's all over the place. And so when you meet someone, there aren't any expectations. It's not PC to bring expectations into a relationship because mm -hmm. it has to be kind of developed and evolved. So every relationship is a new challenge right. for both parties mm -hmm. in the modern world. Where would you rather be, Harry, 200 years ago or today? Well, I think I'd rather be today. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather take my chances. <laughs> Back in those days, you had a symbiotic relationship with your horse. Yeah. <laughs> and these days, it's your car. Yeah, right, right. You're right. You take care of your car, yeah. it takes care of you. Mm -hmm. Symbiosis, baby. <laughs> yeah. When we talk about symbiotic mm -hmm. relationships, there's this thing about uh, microbes. Yeah. Which I came across, which was very interesting. It's called toxoplasma. Mm -hmm. And it's a parasitic protist, they call it, that can infect a range of animals, including mice, rats, and people. Oh. But to reproduce sexually, it must infect a cat. Okay. In an amazing and, uh, what they say, amazing and complex relationship, the parasite enters the brain of the infected rodents. Yep. And it actually changes the host's behavior, making it more likely to be caught and eaten by a cat. And this is intentional. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll explain. Really? So mice infected with toxoplasma mm -hmm. lose their fear of cats, meaning they now openly go out, making it much easier for the cat <laughs> to capture them. <laughs> so they're more active and really? more likely to spend time exploring open spaces. Anyway, once inside the cat... Yeah. Because the cat has now eaten the mouse. Right. The protist enters cells in the intestinal wall, right. reproduces sexually, and releases cysts that are carried out with the cat's feces. 
Wow. Okay. Wow. So from there, the cysts are picked up and eaten by the next host. So people infected behave differently too. Toxoplasma infection is correlated with mental conditions, including schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive disorder, and autism. Holy mackerel. But that's a very complicated symbiotic process, isn't it? You yeah, just described. It is. It's also not looking good for cats. <laughs> <laughs> or the mice who don't recognize their prey. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, I've heard this not only about cats. I've heard this about bird feces and so on. Yeah. So it's something to pay attention to when handling animals yeah. and their discharges. Uh-huh. Because oftentimes the discharges are not hurting the animal itself, but they are discharging toxic right. material, which has been created within their systems. Right. So which one of the five would that represent, would you say? It's an interesting one because the host isn't even aware that they're creating something that's toxic. So that's parasitism, I think. Parasitic. Well, the toxic element mm-hmm. that's being created within the host is definitely parasitic. Yeah. But the host itself is not even aware. So it's almost like a combination of several of these mm-hmm, mm-hmm. symbiotic dynamics. Which brings me to one of the things I thought when the word symbiosis, when we expressed that word as the word that we were going to use in this particular podcast, was mother and child. Aha, uh-huh. right. Now, and the reason I say that is because the benefit to the child is obvious. Yeah. The benefit to the mother is not so obvious, yet there is a benefit for the mother as well mm-hmm. in the process. Of What's the benefit? I would say that the mother is acquiring knowledge, experience, is connecting on another level with a human being that she never previously experienced. Well, wouldn't you also argue that her dopamine levels are going up yes. when she's interacting with her baby and the flush of love that comes through her? Good point. Would be a benefit. Mm-hmm. Would probably prolong her life in yeah. some ways. But it's one of those situations where you can actually transition the different types of symbiosis depending on circumstance, the -hmm. mother and child, and the situation surrounding the two of them. Yeah, and of course, the mother and the father eventually Mm -hmm. have to break those bonds, have to allow those bonds to loosen, and that symbiotic relationship to shift dramatically Mm -hmm. to where the child goes out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. And develops their own other symbiotic relationships. And that one is always there, but it's much looser. Right. The other thing just to mention is that that term, symbiosis, Mm. there was a hundred year long debate. It was kind of coined in 1879 by Heinrich Anton de Barry who defined it as the living together of unlike organisms. But there was a debate about whether it should specifically denote mutual symbiosis, mutualism, right? Uh Or should it include parasitism and predation and all that? It was only recently in the last, whatever, 50 years that people said, no, it should include all of those dynamics, Mm -hmm. which of course basically includes then everything that you can imagine. Well, because now we're talking about a broader definition of the word versus its initial intent. Yeah, yeah. But it's a beautiful word. It's robust. It denotes every possible relationship you can think of and all the various dynamics of it. So if you say, take any relationship of anything in the world, Mm -hmm. you could say, what are the symbiotic dynamics here? Is it mutual? Is it parasitic? 
You could look at your own relationship. Hmm. Sure, and I don't know about you, but I've always seen it as a very positive word. Is that the way it hits you? In general, yeah. yeah. Even when it's one way, right. if it's parasitic, it's still positive in a certain sense. Even with a parasitic relationship, mm-hmm. as long as the host lives longer, right. the parasite will thrive. Yeah. It has know? kind of this uh, sharing feeling. Yeah, give and take. Give and take, give and right, take. exactly. So, so are you going to scratch my back and uh, then I'll scratch yours? Yeah, you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours. And working together will make a better society. <laughs> Symbiosis. Symbiosis. I love it. Yeah. Who are you a parasite on? (laughs) God, I think we've all been parasites at one time or another, don't you? Of course. We're all parasites on the back of of consumer society. And people would suggest that the human race is parasitic in terms Mm. of how it's handled the ecosystems. Absolutely. And the ecosystems have a beautiful symbiotic uh, Mm -hmm. dynamic playing Mm -hmm. through them. We come on board as kind of parasitics. Too much taking, not enough giving back. Exactly. So we need to examine ourselves as human beings in terms of what kind of symbiotic relationship we want to have with each other and the planet we share Mm -hmm. and come to some understanding of that. So we encourage you to give us something back. Yeah. Please call us or leave us a message or give us some opinion or thoughts on uh, this or any other podcast. Just go to thesillpodcast.com and there's a said that we have a little button you can press. Push the button, record your voice and... uh, Hey, next week, we're back to Time Trek. Time Trek. And we're going to cover Ikebana. Ikebana. Look it up, folks. It's a beautiful word. You want to spell that, Harry? I-K-E-B-A-N-A. Go out and smell the flowers. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. He's lost and bitterness.